For listeners in BC and parts of Alberta, you'll remember last year's heat dome. It's hard to forget. I was actually coming back. I'd taken the train to Jasper. I was only able to stay overnight. I had to take the train back because I had to work. Um, but it was on my bucket list. It's something I'd always wanted to do was take the train through the Rockies. So I did it. I did the whole thing in 48 hours. I don't recommend doing that. But it was still great. It's it's stunning. But when we arrived back in Kamloops, we got off the train and man, it was hot. You could tell something strange was happening. It was hotter. and there, People have been talking about it getting up to 40 degrees but I don't think anyone really understood what that meant. And then I went to Seashelt uh, to see a friend of my mom's and, and my mom. And it was like watching the landscape bake. That's how hot it was. It was like watching the landscape change in front of your eyes. You know, BC is a pretty temperate place. 40 degrees it was higher. Places like Lytton, it got up to 47 or so. Well, year after the heat dome that killed billions of plants and animals in this province, scientists are still working to understand how it affected the ecosystem in BC. Uh, Rachel White has been the lead author of a report into the widespread ecological impacts. And she says the lack of synthesized data has been a major barrier for them so far. Now, some effects were immediate and obvious, but several years of data will be needed to get a full picture. It's a fascinating subject because we don't know much, but we're starting to figure out just what happened during the heat dome, at least a little bit, but a lot more work has to be done. Well, joining me now is lead author of that report, Rachel White. She's an assistant professor of atmospheric sciences at the University of British Columbia. Thank you so much for your time tonight. Oh, thanks for having me, Ben. Just thinking back a year ago um, as a scientist, because I've spoken to other people who work in different uh, in different branches about just how um, astounding an event it was and just how quickly people start to think, I wonder what the impact of this is going to be. Uh, how much of an outlier was the heat dome when it comes to what you look at? Yeah, this was incredibly unprecedented for um, our region and even sort of worldwide. There's been a number of studies coming out showing that this was one of the most extreme events that have happened sort of anywhere on Earth um, since we've sort of really been collecting good temperature records. So, yeah, this was this was very extreme. So sort of we, we looked at the um, temperature records broken and so many places as such a broad spatial footprint of um, places that broke previous maximum records by four degrees Celsius, by five degrees Celsius, by more than that. It, yeah, it, this was quite unprecedented. How much does that throw off? And this might sound like a bit of a, a bit of a rhetorical question, but how much does that throw off the ecosystem when there's that much of a temperature change? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think um, some of a lot of those um, answers we're still working on. We're still trying to understand what the long-term impacts of this are, and so there are some parts of the ecosystems that we were, um, as scientists, um, able to get out and sort of look at the impacts quite quickly. Um, but other other parts of the ecosystem might take years to recover, and so really trying to understand all of those impacts is actually going to take us a long time. We're we're a year we're a year out from the heat wave, and there's still a lot of unanswered questions about exactly what um, the impacts were across um, all of these different all these different regions, all these different ecosystems, and the different parts of BC and Alberta, and um, even Washington and Oregon in the U.S. What have you learned so far, Rachel? Yeah, so great question. Um, and so in terms of the ecosystem, um, scientists have been looking um, particularly at marine life 
Um, and so this had such a huge devastating impact on um, marine life, particularly life sort of that lives on the um, intertidal shores. And so the region between sort of high and low tide. And there were a number of uh, things that contributed to that. And some of that was that um, the heat wave occurred very close to the summer solstice. So we had very high um, solar insulation. And so with this heat wave, we saw very clear skies. Um, and so a lot of um, the, the sun's rays hitting the surface. It also unfortunately coincided with um, very low early afternoon low tides. Um, and so a lot of um, a lot of this intertidal uh, shore was exposed to this solar radiation. Um, and so scientists out there were sort of looking at the temperature of the surface and some regions reached sort of more than 52 Celsius, um, or sort of the rock surfaces and the mussels and all of the life that um, lives there. And so they, they just sort of all of these creatures, um, just most a lot of them couldn't survive those extreme temperatures and just sort of baked on the on the shores, unfortunately. Is that is that reversible? Uh, damn, I mean, I, I imagine it probably is, but it must have some sort of impact. I know we might not know yet, but it must have some sort of impact on on uh, on the ecosystem period for, for, for those creatures. Yeah, that's a really great question. So the scientists are out there, um, back out there this year, and sort of what we'll have to keep looking um, at these at these ecosystems and seeing sort of over a period of the next sort of year or the next two, five, ten years, how quickly these ecosystems respond um, and recover because because this was so unprecedented. We don't really have a lot of data to really understand can they recover from that severe. Um, heat and how quickly can they recover from that? And so sort of previous heat waves and the data we have from that don't necessarily help us that much understanding what the response is going to be this time to something that, that was that extreme. Moving away from the ocean, uh, were there other areas that you saw that you also have a better understanding so far of what the impact was? Yeah, so we've been doing some sort of analysis. Um, there's analysis on sort of obviously one of the things that was most reported was the impact on humans um, and mortality across the different provinces. Um, and so the so best estimates at this point um, was at least 900 attributable deaths um, across the um, across Canada and the US. Um, and so in BC alone, um, the BC coroner's um, service have, I think we've got 526 um, deaths directly attributed to that extreme heat just during that one week. Um, and there's still work going on understanding um, whether there was um, excess deaths reported for the rest of July as well and trying to understand how many of those were associated with um, the heat wave and so exacerbated um, conditions of particularly vulnerable people. Um, and so that's one of the most devastating um, impacts of this. But we also saw impacts um, on the wildfires. Um, and so anyone in BC will remember, you know, we the this heat wave was sort of almost the, the starting point for a devastating uh, wildfire season. Um, and so we actually see when you start off with a few wildfires and you have heat wave that just really heats up all of the vegetation, it really dries out the land. And so you have this hot, dry vegetation. You've essentially created a lot of a sort of tinder or kindling um, in the landscape. And unfortunately, one of the sort of 
scientifically interesting but devastating parts of this is that wildfires themselves can produce the sort of meteorology, the weather conditions to produce lightning. Um, and so that's often dry lightning. It's not part of um, a storm with a lot of rainfall. And so it doesn't come with sort of wetting the landscape. And so the more fires you have, the more lightning that is produced and so the more fires that are sparked. And so this was part of that sort of, you know, rolling stone process that was um, certainly um, sped up a lot by this heat wave last year. Um, we've looked at impacts on agricultural yields. And so at the time, there were a lot of reports from sort of farmers just looking at their crops in the fields and seeing the devastation on um, a lot of them. And we've done some analysis looking at crop yields from uh, last year to see, you know, whether overall yields for the whole um, year um, different from average. And again, all of these things are quite difficult to really pin down, you know, what was the effect of that you know, that week of really extreme temperatures and what was the effect of the whole season. So obviously crops um, and vegetables and fruit are affected by a lot of things throughout the um, throughout the growing seasons. Um, but we did find that um, for 26 of the um, crops that we analyzed, and so that was field crops um, such as wheat, we've got fruit crops and vegetable crops, sort of 24 of those 26 show decreases relative to our predictions for what the yields should have been in 2021 based on average conditions. And we had sort of, there's other evidence that suggests that this heat wave did play a substantial role in that as well. It's amazing just what, I mean, any of us who were here for it, as I was, it, it, you could feel the landscape changing uh, because yes. it was so hot here. And, and just compared to how it usually is, you could watch uh, the landscape change under that heat. I'm speaking with Rachel White, an assistant professor of atmospheric sciences at the University of British Columbia. We're talking about the one-year anniversary of the heat dome that descended on British Columbia last year with record dust-breaking temperatures, and, and Alberta as well, record-breaking temperatures in many parts of the province. A very widespread, as Rachel mentioned, a very big footprint uh, the heat had on this province. And the effects of it are still still being understood or still being figured out. Uh, after this, we'll talk a bit more just about the long-term impacts, if we're going to see more of these and what impact that could have, if this is just the beginning of something we're going to, to see on a more regular basis. That's next. Our guest this half hour is Rachel White, an assistant professor of atmospheric sciences at the University of British Columbia. We're talking about the one-year anniversary of the heat dome and the ongoing work by a whole bunch of people, a whole bunch of scientists on trying to figure out what the impact was because it was widespread on just about everything that lives in this broad ecosystem that is British Columbia, Alberta, and uh, the Pacific Northwest of the U.S. Uh, well, Rachel, what are the, some of the things we have not managed to understand just yet? Uh, you did mention some of the things we have figured out, but clearly there are still a lot of questions about what the long-term impact of, uh, of one week ago this year was. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, and I think there's impacts on um, stream flow and um, particularly salmon and other fish and creatures that live in the stream and those ecosystems. One of the things that um, I found really interesting and was that whilst we were having these record-breaking temperatures, we were also getting record-breaking stream flow and flooding in many regions, um, essentially because the snowpack and the glaciers up in the mountains were melting at record rates because of this heat. And um, many, many streams, many rivers actually experienced record-breaking um, river flow um, as, as well as having these record-breaking temperatures. Um, and so the combination of those two impacts on um, the ecosystems is, I think, something that takes a while to really understand, um, because we, we're not 
we're not out there. We're not sort of measuring um, the impacts on the ecosystems all of the time. Those are more sort of um, individual studies. And so where we have data, we can um, look at it, but we don't always have data from those particular periods to understand um, yeah, what, what the impact was then. And so we're trying to understand what the longer term impacts are. And I think one of the other more interesting things is um, those of us in BC will remember later that year, um, we had a number of uh, atmospheric river events that brought an awful lot of precipitation and flooding into the province and led to some really devastating landslides. And there's some interesting connections between the wildfires that we saw partly in response to this heat wave and an increased risk of landslides. And so really trying to piece um, sort of work out what the, those connections were and how much that heat wave did contribute to those landslides um, later in the year, I think, is a question that we're still sort of trying to um, work out. It's very hard to quantify, um, but there's a lot of evidence that they, they certainly did contribute in terms of the impacts of the wildfires themselves. It felt like such an extreme event at the time. And we know, of course, that one of the issues with climate change is that it makes things more extreme. Is this, is this, are these sorts of heat domes something we're going to see a lot more of? And are we going to have to learn to mitigate those risks? So we're certainly going to have to learn to mitigate the risks of more extreme heat waves and more frequent heat waves. Whether we'll see something this bad again um, in the near future, um, really I mean, part of that really depends on what we as a species, as a global community do to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions. And so the biggest uncertainty in how much warming we're going to experience is in how much more greenhouse gases do we continue to put into the atmosphere? And so that that's sort of the, the answer to this question um, is it, it's up to us. And so the, the, the longer answer is that it's very hard to know exactly how frequent an event this could be, because to, to understand that, we'd have to know how frequent an event it was in the past climate. And so there's a lot of researchers really trying to understand this, this question of, you know, was this an event that would happen on average once every 500 years? Was it an event that happens once every a thousand years? Was it so rare that it was an event that happens every once every 10,000 years? And, you know, we don't have that much data. We have not been um, measuring temperatures in um, sort of this precise way for 10,000 years in this. Um, so it's very hard for us to actually know where does this event fall um, in that sort of probabilities and therefore where will it fall in the future? And so we do know that climate change is making events like this more likely. Um, it's making sort of all temperatures higher. And so it's making our hottest temperatures higher as well. So, right. I hope, my hope is that we will mitigate and reduce our greenhouse gas emissions such that this type of event isn't so, sort of a, a one in five or a one in 10 year event, which some of the worst predictions are saying might be the case by the end of the 21st century. Um, I hope that's not the case. And I think partly that's um, right. Partly that's up to us to um, reduce the greenhouse gas emissions, to reduce the amount of warming we see in order to avoid this. But even even without something this bad, you know, this could have been two degrees Celsius cooler and it would still have been a very extreme event with a lot of impacts. And so we do still need to 
um, recognize that these types of extreme events are going to become more frequent, even if it's not quite this extreme again for, you know, hopefully 50, 60, maybe never years, um, we will have to prepare for more heat waves, um, as will as will all other provinces and regions around the world, unfortunately. Rachel White, thank you so much for your time tonight. I appreciate it. Thank you. 911.